in every Tuesday to the Learning with Lowell podcast with me, your host, Lowell, to hear world-class scientists, startup founders, CEOs, and authors, people who you wouldn't normally hear about but are making huge waves all the same. You'll understand them and their work by hearing their passion, laughter, advice, and hearing them, the experts, break down what they're working on so that you can learn push the boundaries of your knowledge and understanding. Three quick ways to show your support and get unique, exclusive, and fun content is by checking out learningwithlowell.com website, our Patreon page. Even if it's just a buck, it keeps us advertisement free and subscribing. Today, we are joined with Shubhadeep Das, CEO and founder of Convalesce. Convalesce is a startup based out in the Bay Area, rewriting lost neural circuits of the brain through biomaterials and stem cells. In this episode, we get into the environment, what he's developing, how this is the right time to do it, and really into the science of it as well. So let's get into this. What was the what was the problem that you first recognized? Like, what's the what's the first problem you noticed that you wanted to solve, and how did you how did you so, come about finding it? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was very fascinated about the the field of uh, regenerative medicine when I started my grad school and um, so so stem cells that time was um, it had it, it was known that stem cells have a lot of promise and uh, a, a whole lot of people were working scientists were working and what I liked the most about them was the the the, the potential they had for literally regenerating um, any sort of tissue that you you can because they have that kind of going deep into the science I realized that um, there is first to yeah you broke up again she's like uh this connection uh are do you, is, is it possible <laughs> is it possible to find a place with a better connection or something like it's like every sentence. I, I will. I will try to get uh, to. So there are multiple Wi-Fi's here. Just I'll try to get into some other Wi-Fi. But it'd be cool if you could use like three at the same time. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like the most supreme Wi-Fi in the world. Um, though I think it'd probably be worse than anything. Yes, I think no matter how. Uh, technically advanced we become but <laughs> some sort of wi-fi problem will always keep us bothering well you're in the bay area right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i noticed that the the wi-fi and um cell signals out there are really shitty like like they drop a lot i don't know if you noticed yeah, that yeah 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 they drop a lot sometimes it's like you've been working super on something and then suddenly the internet connection is boom gone well, as soon as, as soon as we stop talking about technical stuff, the internet stops freezing. Oh, and it froze right when I said that. I wonder if it's on my side. It could be me. Yeah, uh, no. I just changed the Wi-Fi connection, so I think we'll be good now. Okay. All right, I believe in us. Then to, yeah, to, start over. <laughs> to, to, to restate. Yeah. So, like, there's this quote that most people are familiar with where it's, if you know, if you understand the why, you can and you you can un, you can persevere through any how. So I'm curious, what was the why, and how did you find it for for what you're developing? So, um, so I was very curious about uh, regenerative medicine when I joined grad school, and um, 
stem cells uh, were all over, like a lot of scientists were working on different aspects of stem cells. And I was really fascinated to learn about the immense potential um, uh, stem, cells, stem cells have because they can be literally grown into any sort of um, tissue or part of organ. And um, given that potential, I was, I, was, so I was a hardcore scientist that time. So I wanted to understand more of the stem cells and then uh, I wanted to find out how we can apply stem cells to cure um, diseases that uh, is sort of incurable by um, drugs available in the market today or um, like the standard ways of medications couldn't solve certain problems. So if those problems could be solved using stem cells. So that's, that's where, um, that's what I wanted to do. So when I started um, uh, understanding the science behind the stem cells, so uh, I sort of realized there is a fundamental drawback that is holding back um, clinically viable therapies uh, in in the in this field, and we have sort of uh, by we I, I mean so that time it was me and my academic supervisors. So we sort of named it as the matrix problem. So the matrix problem was that the stem cells um, now theoretically they they can work great. Even they worked great. They have demonstrated all the potential once. They, uh, the, the test that, that has been performed on them in a dish. So we call them ex vivo. So ex vivo, it was working perfect. Um, it was showing that, yes, it, it can technically uh, grow into any type of adult cell from a stem cell. But things changed when they were actually transplanted in uh, a living system, whether, whether it's um, an animal model or a human being. So it just didn't work the way it worked in a dish. So what was missing in, in that? So that was the key piece of puzzle that, that uh, we tried to solve. And that is the matrix problem. So what the stem cells missed uh, once they were transplanted in a living system was the right microenvironment for their survival, for their differentiation. Um, by differentiation, I mean that uh, what uh, cues the stem cells are great getting to mature into a, a particular type of cells. Like a stem cell can be developed into a heart cell, a muscle cell, or a brain cell. So, but you know, those cells are very unique by itself. So you have to give or rather train the stem cells in a very specific way so that they grow into a muscle cell or they grow into a heart cell or they grow into a brain cell. So, um, and, and so, the matrix was one of the key features that was missing. So a lot of studies, uh, when I started this work, a lot of studies has already been published by then that which showed that the stem cells after transplantation uh, didn't survive. So most of them were dead uh, after transplantation. So I started with this problem in grad school. That was my PhD project. So we focused on the brain because uh, our, our group was really focused on the brain, especially uh, neurodegenerative diseases. So uh, we tried to fix the problem of neurodegeneration using stem cells. Like the ideal situation would be uh, someone whose uh, neurons have degenerated due to uh, any diseases like Parkinson's or, or Alzheimer's. So 
those neurons once they have degenerated will not grow on their own with the 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 system isn't um, coded like that mm-hmm. so the the obvious uh, uh, obvious uh, sort of um, treatment or therapy was that to replenish the function of those those cells those lost cells and that's what uh, is, is prescribed to the patients today like for Parkinson's, uh, there's lack of dopamine in the brain in a specific region. So what a doctor suggests to you, uh, a patient, is that to take some medications which will sort of replenish those lost dopamine levels. But, you know, these kind of treatment are what we call symptomatic treatment. It suppresses the symptoms because you lack a neurotransmitter, you have been supplied with that neurotransmitter, but mm-hmm. it doesn't solve the problem from the, from the root. The, the root cause is that the cells that were producing those dopamine, those uh, mini biological factory, dopamine producing factory, those are gone. So what we wanted to do is replace or rather put new factories in the brain which can produce dopamine rather than giving it a, the patient a symptomatic treatment. We wanted to cure uh, the disease from the root cause. Mm-hmm. And so we eventually developed, uh, we were successful in developing a matrix that mimicked the natural extracellular matrix of the brain. So there are a lot of mechanical properties that we have to engineer into the material so that it, um, it, it works perfectly with stem cells. It is not, um, the material itself is not harmful to the brain. And also it should be a smart material, which means that it shouldn't stay in the brain forever. It should be like serving its purpose, serving its job, and then automatically uh, metabolized into the uh, non-toxic uh, byproducts, which will then uh, move into the, uh, into the body and then would be easily removed by the system. So that was the, the ideal uh, matrix that we wanted to develop. And fortunately, we came up with, after uh, a lot of uh, designing, a lot of trial and error, we finally came up with one. And by the time I, when I ended my PhD, I was, I was super excited to see the data that we had. It was like, uh, like the first time we have demonstrated that a direct comparison between if you use metrics to transplant stem cells in the brain, and then the results were like drastically different from if you just transplant the stem cells. And, and that was the moment when I thought that this is something which, um, which can actually help people out there. It, it's, it's, the implications were more, way beyond just a successful science project. So I wanted to commercialize the technology and, and uh, that's what uh, drove me into this path of entrepreneurship. How big of a space is this? Like most people think of like disrupting this space worth a hundred billion dollars or whatever. But what's your what's your market that you're looking at? Oh uh, well, um, uh, in terms of market, we are now uh, right now focused on neurodegeneration. And if you look into just um, uh, specifically just Parkinson's worldwide, almost there are ten million people suffering from this disease. And each year, there are 60,000 new Americans uh, diagnosed with the disease. So, and you know, with the, with the, uh, with the standard of living, uh, people are now fortunately living longer life, a healthier life, but with 
A longer life comes additional problems and age-related diseases like, uh, and most of the neurodegenerative diseases, if not genetic, are, are sort of age-related. So people um, get them when they are aged, like it, it generally strikes in, say, after 55 years, 60 years, that's just the average um, years. And um, then uh, there is, once the, this kind of neurodegenerative disease kicks in, there is no way back. There is, mm-hmm. from there, it's, it's always a, a, a downhill. So yeah, the market is, is, is really huge. Um, uh, typically, because given the sheer number of patients are there for, for just one, this kind of uh, disease. But the possibilities uh, are enormous. Like we, we have sort of designed the first matrix for the brain and we have now plans for designing uh, multiple tissue specific matrices so that we can address um, the problem of uh, degeneration in multiple tissues and not only confine ourselves to the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have stem cells mm-hmm. and then from going from there to like putting it in the brain for people mm-hmm. who don't understand just for like on a, on a large level, I don't want anyone to steal your lunch. Like what are the, like the processes or steps you tend to go through to make something that's, basically a stem cell kind of like Mm -hmm. neutral if you will to being specific like that for people who like have no idea all they've heard about stem cells is like on the news (laughs) okay okay so um so first of all the stem cell has to be harvested from from someone so it it could be like from the patient's own body what we call a a autologous uh, transplant or it could be a agenic transplant which means that the stem cells are derived from a healthy donor uh, and then they are processed, manipulated. By processed and manipulation, I mean that, so the stem cells, when they're derived from a healthy donor, they, they're not in sufficient numbers which can uh, be transplanted in, in, in the patient back to get a therapeutic cure. So what one has to do is to, we have to expand those cells so, and so that we get the desired number of cells that is um, clinically relevant. So, so that's to give you a, a good therapeutic outcome. So uh, the cells are harvested, the cells are uh, derived from the patient, um, not the patient, sorry, a donor, and um, then they are expanded. Then uh, there could be manipulation, could not be manipulation. By manipulation, I mean they could be treated with a, a specific um, set of growth factors so that um, they could be primed towards uh, growing into a particular class of cells because you have to make them commit to one uh, one pathway or one type of cell they they should become it's like if you are um, regenerating uh, um, the bone you have to make the stem cells um, you have to to, um, manipulate them in a way so that they only become a bone cell and not a kidney cell. So mm-hmm. that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And then after that manipulation, so uh, typically those cells are taken from the lab again back to the hospital where they would be transplanted back into the patient. So in, for us, uh, the treatment that we, we are giving, so the, the, our invention is, is the matrix that really works uh, well with the stem cells. So when the surgeon actually does the transplant surgery, he or she mixes the, the stem cells with the matrix that we provide them. And um, then 
the mixture actually, the combination of the matrix and the stem cells goes into the, the body of the patient. And it, the matrix has got all the cues or all the, all the, the biophysical and the biochemical factors that are required for the stem cells to get the right signals uh, for the purpose. For us, like we are regenerating the neurons, so the matrix is designed in a way so that the stem cells wouldn't even think of uh, going into any other direction. They would be committed to be um, just uh, be neurons, um, and not only neurons, uh, it would be like a specific neuron, say for Parkinson's, they should be neurons that produce dopamine. Mm -hmm. um, so just like that. So that's, that's something we called a targeted differentiation and uh, that could be done by the matrix so the surgeon has to just mix the matrix so it, it's it's uh, mixed with the stem cells during the the transplant surgery and then the the patient re receives the shot of the stem cells mm -hmm. is it possible to this is like a novice question but is it possible to overshoot the amount of cells you put in so you like instead of being like under like if you want it to go under, it starts becoming over too much and then you have to like downgrade it or is it, you have such an idea of what the, the deficiency is that you can put in like, if, it, if the oh, uh, yes, 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 yes. So of course, so there, there are ways of assessing that um, since each patient is different. So definitely you have to customize the dose for that patient because uh, not everyone will receive the same uh, shot of stem cells. It's just like you, you I can give you a, an analogy, like uh, when you go to a doctor with some disease, so you might be suggested uh, an antibiotic or something of one particular dose. Your friend who might have same kind of symptoms might get uh, a prescription of um, the same, maybe the same class of antibiotics, but with a higher dose because the doctor thinks that he or she might need a, a higher dose, just like that. So it's very... Um, customized to the patient and there are ways of assessing that how, how many cells will uh, patient X require versus how many cells a patient Y might require and it all depends on the, the size of the lesion in the brain or like um, what, is the, what is the amount uh, of tissue that you want to regenerate mm -hmm. in simple terms so that, that will determine how many set, how many cells um, or what volume of matrix um, that particular patient uh, will need do you have to go through a long fda process to actually yes. have helping people yeah and then yeah yes yes so um, so we uh, we we have uh, an, understand, an understanding of uh, the the clinical pathway what we call the clinical pathways from the the entire pathway right from where you know that the technology works in a lab scale and then from the lab you translate the research into a, an actual product or service into the clinic. So we have to go through a very uh, thorough uh, process. Uh, FDA has um, um, a certain guidelines for us uh, and we are working uh, definitely sticking to those guidelines because uh, in, in this kind of space, it's always uh, always better if we uh, go with the FDA rather than trying to trick them. Mm -hmm. The do will the aspect that will you have orphan drug status to or whatever that term yeah, is for yeah, what you're developing yeah. to expedite it. And yeah, for so, 
yeah, for people who don't know what uh, orphan drug status, maybe explain that and then like talk about. You know. Okay, yeah, sure. So from a regulatory perspective, so um, like you said, like from FDS perspective, so they categorize diseases is uh, into certain special category, like um, say there is a disease which has no treatment yet in the market, in the clinic. So if someone has developed a therapy for that disease and it really works that that company has uh, say demonstrated that their therapy really works for that disease so what fda does see the purpose of fda is to expedite um, and as well also protect the interest of people who will receive the treatment so uh, what they do is if the therapy works they want that the, the therapy should come to the market faster than expected. So they start working with you, they help you a lot, and they, then they give you uh, a separate status for the drug or the formulation, which, is, uh, which sort of expedites the, the clinical trial process. So a typical clinical trial, like say, say, say if everything works well in a phase one, phase two, and phase three, would typically take around at least eight to nine years to, to get all the controls done. So there has to be say double blinded controls and so there are protocols and, and to get through that, it typically takes eight to nine years at least. But if, um, if a drug or a therapy gets uh, a special status, now orphan drug is one of that status. There are other status like for regenerative medicine, um, there, there is something known as the RMAT designation or there is like fast track status. So there are multiple statuses um, and a therapy or a drug should qualify. So there are certain parameters for qualification. If that particular drug or therapy qualifies um, under that category, so the FDA would approve or provide that kind of status to a new therapy. And the, the benefit uh, from, for the common people is that uh, they would get the therapy faster so it means it didn't take, say, a decade of clinical trials to come to the market. For us specifically, we have um, our our, uh, our uh, sort of regulatory strategy. What we, what we can say is to uh, get one of those uh, statuses, and we are working on it with some of the consultants of the field. The good thing is that the type of uh, data we are having from our preclinical animal studies, they're, they're super promising. We have, we have seen that, uh, that we, we, can, we have actually recovered uh, uh, Parkinson's from uh, in animal models, in multiple animal models. So it really works well. So we are, we are working on getting, uh, think, uh, getting a special designation because for Parkinson's, uh, there is currently no uh, treatment that can solve the disease from the root cause. It's most of them are symptomatic. They work, uh, at least there's something for the patients, but uh, none of the treatment have yet demonstrated that it would literally cure the disease from the cause by replacing the, the lost neurons. Mm -hmm. I think one of the treatments they have now is like they put an electrode in your brain and they basically basically oversensitize it so you don't tremor as much. And it's yeah. more that's kind of like um, that's called deep brain stimulation. So yeah, yeah, and, and it's yeah. I mean, no, how many people want to have you know uh, something shoved yeah. into their brain? <laughs> yeah, it's it's but you know the 
it's it's easy for us to say because we we are we are actually blessed to have a, a healthy normal life but if you see a patient a parkinson patient who is really suffering from the tremors and and the and the seizures it's like for them it is like anything that could mm-hmm. give them relief is a is a huge thing so they that's, right. that, yeah. that's why this kind of surgery is an existence and it works at least it works it gives them relief but again like i said all all this uh, all the kind of therapies that are currently existing so they they sort of uh, give you a better life for a few more days or a few more years because they can um, suppress the symptoms it's just symptom management no actual cure it's like again like giving you another analogy you you have a fever and the the doctors have suggested you to take say paracetamol to to bring down the fever but no one know they know say why the fever is happening but they're not able to cure the mm-hmm. disease they're just giving you medications to so that you don't have fever you don't have the the symptoms but from the from the root cause it it's not been cured yeah the so for to to re, to reemphasize like normally for people to go through FDA it might take eight to ten years with uh, these types of special statuses it's maybe like half that time if everything is like really working well yeah so like, if, if not if not half at least it will be like um like sixty percent often so so probably if if uh, if a drug gets an orphan orphan drug status or um uh, or a fast track status uh, maybe it will so. There are also um, a sort of um, definitions, or it's it's a well defined that at which stage of clinical trial you can apply for those kind of status, and at which point you can be approved. So typically, it's it's somewhere in the junction of a phase one and a phase two. So when you have your phase one results, so in a phase one, what is assessed is whether the new treatment or the new drug is safe. So they don't look for efficacy in phase one. So first of all, you, you have to prove that your new therapy is safe. So once it's proven to be safe, and then you have also shown a way better efficacy than any of the existing treatment, then you go to FDA and say, hey, we have this treatment, it's safe, our phase one is done, and then um, uh, you, you request to for a special uh, uh, designation, which they will they will see and they, they if they feel that yes it, it deserves to be a, uh, uh, to receive a special designation they will give you a special designation which then uh, fast tracks the remaining phase of your clinical trials it's like um, it, it that shortens so you don't have to do a lot of uh, uh, you don't have to say uh, for example you might not have to include um, the sample size could be of the patient could be low, which means that um, your trial could be completed in a shorter time. And from from a company's perspective, this means that your time to market is shortened, mm-hmm. and you are also saving on your uh, the money that you are spending on the clinical trials. Makes sense. The it's probably something that would be very exciting to like a, a VC fund that. Most VCs funds for people who are listening, and they tend to do like they reach like ten year funds. So anything like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not ten years, so they can get like a good return. Usually makes them pretty happy. So having that type of status makes it something that is fundable. Absolutely, absolutely. 
and and that's that's what we do uh, because and at the very beginning uh, of uh, since the inception what we have uh, strongly we have tried to develop is a very good regulatory strategy because for a therapy like ours we need to have a very good regulatory strategy in place so that um, we can uh, and we typically say say all this to our investors as well that when we are talking that to give them a sense that okay how much time and money it might take to to convert the the entire thing from the, from where we are to uh, people actually receiving the therapy in a hospital mm-hmm. one thing i'm i'm always curious about and maybe this is just like a discussion point but there's there's like i'm being like really um unfair with this uh making two camps of this, but there's like one camp that'll like do a raise every couple of years when they reach different milestones, which seems to me like to be the most time inefficient thing to do, but probably the most effective in in ensuring your equity doesn't get diluted unnecessarily. And there's another camp that just does it all in one go. Um, Yeah. What what are your thoughts on that? So it it really depends on, so um, what I would think is that even, even my firm, the strategy for my company that we have set is that we would prefer uh, a sort of um, milestone based thing rather than taking the whole thing in the beginning. So there's, there's both benefits and um, uh, I would say deficits. <laughs> so in, in both the ways. So in the first case where you are say getting, raising the whole money in one go. Now that, that typically is, um, it, it's, it's, Sometimes also not good for the company and also the, the VC that is funding because there's a lot of um, de-risking that has to happen uh, when this technology is like this enters the market. So if there is, a, and we believe in like sequential de-risking. So once you de-risking, de-risk say to an extent where uh, the, your investors feel confident that okay, yeah, now this this is this this things has been doing, so we can we can now think uh, fully on the first milestone uh, on the second milestone. Uh, then you direct your second milestone. You raise the good thing is that when you raise like this, your company's valuation changes at each inflection point. So these these mm-hmm. critical milestones are like inflection points where you can where you're in a really good position to negotiate the valuation of the company. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, when, when someone is offering you money, like in one go, like a huge chunk of money. So it's more of like um, putting money on face value rather than on facts. Mm-hmm. And the problem there is that since a lot of, uh, not a lot of things are de-risked yet. So there is always a chance, but anyway, it, the, so what, how they do is they give you money in tranches, not the whole thing at once, yeah. but you have a commitment that, yeah, they will give you anyway. So first of all, the, 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 from a company's perspective or a startup's perspective, the valuation typically is not that great if, you get, if you're raising like the whole thing at one go. And secondly, um, um, if you're raising the whole thing at one go, sometimes I've seen, I've seen here that uh after uh these companies had money in the bank they they went crazy like they were they were like not focused on on um things that they have they should have done rather they were like now we have the money let's do 
try to do everything or, or like say expand the team like anything so all those kind of uh, all those kind of things happen that can potentially you know defocus you from what ultimately what you want to achieve yeah. but again the good thing is that you don't have to worry about the money so <laughs> So that because raising funds uh, is 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 really time consuming and energy draining. So so of course, if you have a commitment of a big chunk of money from someone, you don't have to think about money. You have to just focus on the product. But I think if you have a lot of money, that that focus is also somehow lost. Yeah, I hear it. it, it uh, got to got to keep hungry for those milestones. The um, so. Yeah, yeah, so. In in terms of you and the team, what makes you think that, like, you're the people to solve this problem over anyone else? So um, the thing that we are doing it requires uh, super technical knowledge in a very niche area. In 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 some aspects, in some aspects, it requires a very uh, interdisciplinary science, which which means uh, uh, if you if you just take expert from a field A and expert from a field B, um, it might not work because someone has to weave the things from the field that expert A belongs and the field that expert B belongs because it's so cross-disciplinary. We, we are like working with material science, nanotech, stem cells, and it's, it's a super, it's super exciting space, but again, we, we do draw concepts and ideas from from different types of fields. It's it's mostly what we are focused on is application of uh, basic science in different fields. So the basic science uh, problems have been like like say sixty percent solved, and then you start thinking about the application applying the principles which you learn from the, from the basic science. Um, so we can do this because we have first the right expertise. The, there is some, like I said, the niche expertise that are required. Uh, our team has those kind of niche, niche expertise, like uh, to work on the material science, to work on the stem cells, to work on um, the cell biology aspect. So there are multiple aspects that we have to take care so that we get the final product, um, or rather not, I wouldn't say the product, the final therapy, um, um, a, a, a final better therapy. So there are multiple things that we have to consider. And in our team, we have those peoples, we have peoples who have um, also cross-disciplinary um, expertise. And that, that's, that's why uh, we believe that we, we are uniquely positioned for, for solving this kind of challenges. Like we understand the, the big picture, but we also understand the, the technical nitty gritties from each of the different fields that we are combining together to deliver the therapy. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. The, is there, are there any negatives that you've noticed in this field or, or as you're building out your technology, is there anything that, tends like that would you perceive as a negative and um like i think in our in our preamble we uh, i i referenced them as charlatans but uh is there anything that you want people to be aware of as like good good-hearted people such as yourselves are doing the right things through fda approval 
to develop these technologies. I think there was a, a concern about people who don't do the, the correct path that you wanted yes, to share. Of, yes, of course, of course. I think, um, now, like I said, that the patients who are suffering, they, they and their family, so it, it's, it's, it's really tough for even the family members of the patients to see someone uh, suffer like that. So they are literally desperate to get uh, get hands on anything that will give the patient a bit of relief and and that's why there 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 is there are a lot of uh, clinics that operate in, in pretty much i think every country worldwide you will find some stem cell clinic promising you like things out of hell which is which is just not possible and the way they operate these kind of clinics operate they are just preying on um, on desperate people and desperate patients and their family members. So what what I think is that that's a drawback for us, or because we get a lot of negative publicity for that for these kind of clinics who are giving uh, patients therapies that are not even approved, FDA approved, or approved by anyone. Not even a, a scientist would approve that that kind of therapies. What these people are giving, but and and unfortunately. A lot of people have um, uh, fallen prey for for these kind of clinics. They went to these kind of clinics, and then eventually the results either were not as good as expected, or worse, it had a had a negative side effect, or which which like which was which is really really bad. So I would I would definitely suggest that um, if you are deciding to get a stem cell therapy. Um, either for yourself or your family members, please uh, make sure that that therapy is uh, approved by the FDA or uh, the, uh, a, a suitable regulatory authority of your country. And uh, the best thing is that the FDA's website as well as the, uh, there is a site called clinicaltrials.gov, which, which mentions um, all the legit clinical trials that are going on and the type of uh, treatment that which companies are have filed for this kind of clinical trial. So be aware, uh, reach out to people, reach out to doctors who you trust and you believe that um, that uh, they can help out, help you out with assessing whether the, the therapy, the stem cell therapy is um, a legit one or not. And I think uh, even even if you, if you have friends who are, who have, um, who have worked in, in, in the stem cell field or hospitals in some sort, they might know someone who can give you a better understanding, but just don't uh, fall a prey um, uh, of advertisements, which these kind of clinics advertise. And then they, because they take a lot of money and, and then they give you actually literally nothing. So it's, it's better to stay away from this kind of treatments and clinics. And I would say for, for, Companies like us, there are also a lot of other companies uh, who are who would rather prefer working with the FDA rather than running away from them. So there are a lot of companies who are who are based on solid science like us, and and we are really working hard to make it uh, make it happen as early as possible for for the people who are suffering from this kind of ailments. But uh, till that happens, uh, I would definitely suggest that. Um, stay aware and stay away from this kind of hoax clinics. Are there any good rules of thumb for someone who, I mean, cause some people when they're desperate, they're not going to look at the, you know, the FDA websites or the, the, the clinical trials.gov. 
are there ways to tell like you know um and your experience when you look at these places where it's like, man, if you, I mean, they don't even sound real, you know, like they're promising, like there's no risk or downsides or like, yeah, 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 exactly. So I think uh, it would be tough to give any rule of thumb because, you know, this is, this field is expanding so fast that uh, one has to really be updated on the, on the latest information because it's like, Maybe um, some therapy which wasn't um, approved, say six six months back, is now approved by FDA. So one has to really keep a track mm-hmm. of what's going on. So it's definitely definitely better to talk to an expert rather than yeah. uh, than, than trying to um, take uh, decisions based on advertisements. And and also you you know you will overall you will also have a, a feel of. Um, from the clinic or from from if you are getting a, a legit stem cell therapy it it in my experience i've seen that it's mostly given by a very reputed hospitals because the type of um, infrastructure you need to give a, a proper stem cell therapy it's it's the the reputed hospitals the established hospitals they have those kind of infrastructure it cannot be given by a, a, a garage like clinic who is like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I've seen them, like the clinic, which is like literally like a garage, like some funny posters outside promising uh, stem cell therapy. And they will have uh, like uh, names of, I don't know, doctors, maybe fake. And then, but yeah, like I said, that when, when patients are desperate, they don't think in a way they should, they should. So they try to grab anything. It's, it's, I can completely understand and sympathize with that. But again, if, if you try to reach out to people who know or who, are, who at least have an understanding of the technique or technology, will definitely be able to guide you or tell you that, at least give you a sense whether it's, it's legit or whether it's a hoax. Yeah, I think the, 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 big, the big thing that I think if I, was in there, if I was in the shoes of someone suffering like this, what would I want to look for? And I think I find a, you know, your family doctor or, you know, within your medical plan that someone who you can trust and like, just have an engaged conversation with them about it. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I want to know what's out there, you know, exactly. don't sugarcoat it, you know, like find the medical expert within your, your plan. Um, that's what I would think if I was in these people's shoes, like I want to find someone cause like that person's only job is to help you out. Like they're not going to, you know, like right, the right. insurance company already paid them. Like they're there to help you out. So just, mm-hmm. and maybe that's a little trial and error. Like maybe some doctors better than others, but like find one that you can trust, listen and ask great questions. And, and, um, exactly. And, and, and they should also know, I think, um, the, what, what typically happens is that in, if you go to a good hospital, the doctor will always tell you or always make you aware of the, Plausible negative side effects that because each therapy there 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 are times when uh, the therapy might not work or the doctor might might think that that some other troubles might come up for one particular patient. So the doctors in in good reputed hospitals or clinics they always give you an, a, a very good understanding of that. They tell you they walk you through the process. They tell you that what are the good things and what are the uh, possible bad things that might happen and then then you can take a very informed decision but if you go to um, the clinics where where they're like it, it's it's a fake anyway so they will just 
keep on advertising that what are what are the good things, what are the great things, and then they will make you feel that yeah, if you just receive the treatment, it you will be all good. So it's it's more kind of like playing with the psychology of the of the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, transitioning a little bit to in keeping with this idea of talking to experts, have you found if you if you have like a team of advisors behind you, and I I, mm-hmm. I imagine you do, mm-hmm. the, have you found? Well, I guess for st- step one, like, do you have a team of advisors that you um that you rely on for your company? And uh, um, yeah, yeah, okay, no idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I just uh, um didn't want to, um, but what for for people who in a similar situation like building like a team around you, have you found an effective way to build a team of advisors for like for the people out there who are thinking like I'm gonna build a startup or I want to work on some like deep science, deep tech related matters like and you need subject domain experts um, to ensure that you're not, you know, getting, you know, the charlatans and whatnot. Like, how do you find, like, how do you find the best? And then how do you retain them and get them excited to be on your team? Okay. So I, for now I would give you some very personal uh, experiences. It's like when, when you have uh, something that really works, the science works, scientists and doctors appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So in our case, what happened is that some of the doctors or surgeons, they have reached out to us. They have said, hey, I've, I've read your paper. I, I have seen this, is, this tech might be great. So um, would you like to tell me a bit more about what you're doing and how you're doing? And then I have, and so whatever advisors I have ended up gaining, it's mostly like either they came to us or when, when I reached out to them, they got super excited seeing the data because for a therapeutic company, we are super relied on hardcore scientific data. And mm-hmm. when, we, when they see that the data is good, the data is real, they, they really get excited and they, then they, they want to work with us. So they, they want to be like the, for, for the doctors, like they want to be the doctor, they want to be the surgeon who is providing their patient uh, a class therapy and so that's 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 the kind of post probably uh, uh, the, the 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 mindset they come in with from so we do have also academic researchers as our advisors um, for them it was like uh, uh, the sheer joy of translating a basic science a few basic science concepts into the clinic so that's that that's that's how it works and and definitely so uh, that knowing the expert it doesn't come overnight so since the, the good thing was that uh, I, I uh, since uh, our team and also me we we did uh, like we were like scientists for almost uh, seven years so we know that the who are the top scientists of the field and uh, so typically how we work uh, is like we reached out to them. We we showed our what we the data we had, and then I, I've really found that most of the advisors that um, I talk to they're really really um, receptive to what we say, and they try really hard to put put their best into into this company so that um, at the end of the day, if we are successful, it's a it's a win win for everyone. 
so yeah, we have been fortunate to have some really, really good advisors, say whether basic scientists, whether neurosurgeons or say um, business advisors um, in, in the stem cell space. Uh, regulatory advisors, so all all those kind of people. So and also uh, the some of the other fellow founders who have uh, been in this kind of space. They so uh, founders is like it's a sort of cult, and 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 there's there are certain certain codes which like even if uh, a big shot scientist or say a clinician uh, might not be able to give you insights on everything. Uh, of the field, but someone who has, um, you know, run a company in a very similar space before would be able to give you uh, more connections or more intros, and, and that's how it, it's a it's an ecosystem rather. So we cannot stay isolated. No one stays isolated. So it's it's an ecosystem. We are part of the ecosystem, and and we are we are really really lucky to have a lot of super advisors with us. And without them, it, it would definitely we we wouldn't have been able to. Uh, do what we are doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So the, um, kind of like the opposite of this, this is just a question I always like to ask people that's uh, mm-hmm. like kind of the opposite end. It's like a, it's a negative thing. Is there a, is or are there problems that you're currently having that either you don't have the, the, pro, the solution to or that you need help with that maybe someone listening in could like be that person to help you out with or, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, we are uh, currently uh, definitely looking for, we are uh, raising a round. So we haven't uh, closed the round yet. We have raised uh, uh, almost half of the round that we are raising. And it would be, it would be really good that if, uh, if anyone who is interested in this space and, and wants, to, um, wants to contact me or our company, it, and then want to know about our technology and be a part of our journey, um, you're most welcome. Yeah. Have you heard of, have you used the web? I know there's like Crunchbase has something like this, but I really like Signal where you can see like the VCs that like broken down by category that like by the spaces and by the rounds. Have you ever looked at Signal? I think it's Signal by VH or something like that. No, I, I typically use Crunchbase and Pitchbook, but I haven't used Signal yet, but I'll, I'll definitely take a look at it. Yeah, Yeah, I'll send it to you after this. I, I use it all the time to find people to interview. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you can be like, oh, I want to I wanna do a special on like space tech. So I'll, I'll find the guy who just invented, ah, invested okay. 10 million into a, a recent space tech company. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, Crunchbase is pretty pretty decent, but for, for whatever reason, it, it has a really interesting, uh, easy interface for, mm-hmm. for you and for anyone listening in who's uh, thinking about raising money. But having a 50% subscription to your round is like pretty fantastic. So hopefully it goes by pretty quickly. Um, yep, so, fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. Uh, uh, so do you have any like go-to books that you recommend to people, either nonfiction or fiction? Uh, yep. So, um, so and but this is definitely categorized into people. So are you talking about people who like want to be entrepreneurs or startup founders or like people who want to have an understanding of um, some sort of science and technology? What, what kind of... How about, how about start with the entrepreneur type people and then go to people excited about the sciences and then maybe like general people if there's still books. Like, uh, I, yeah. I, like I read a lot, so okay, okay. I'll read. So, so um, I, I would suggest for... 
for wannabe entrepreneurs um, like read Zero uh, to One by Peter Thiel. It's, oh, it's, yeah, it's a good book. Amazing, yeah. And also, um, like, uh, so financial uh, lessons with insights, uh, Rich Dad and Poor Dad. Um, that's that's really good book. Um, and Wait, have you um, just to interject a book on that idea? And to be helpful, not just put it all on you. Have you read Venture Deals by Brad Feld? Oh yeah, yeah. it's 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 a sort of uh, like Bible for us right now when we are <laughs> raising money. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it has got all the 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 nitty-gritties of a, how a term sheet looks like, what kind of ex- explanation, and, uh, what what does does those terms mean, how you can negotiate. It's it's really really a, f- a fantastic book book for anyone who is raising money. So absolutely. Okay. Uh, venture deals, yeah, and and I think um, there is also uh, one more one more book which is on. Uh, it's, I think it's called the Business Model Canvas, or it's called yeah, it, it's called the Business Model Canvas. So it's really good. It it helps you to break down your business into multiple components, and then so that you can so when you're running a business or when you're starting a business, there are so many aspects that you have to look into. So it, if, if you, that book will guide you to break all those uh, business components by part, and then you can actually address each, each problem separately in one big canvas. And then finally, the big picture will, will come up that, okay. So, hmm. and, it, and, and the interesting thing is that, you know, when you use a, a business canvas, so it, it, it shows you the not only the big picture but also the 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 microstructure or the micro problems that exist somewhere in your whole business problem which you have to solve say first so that it it does it it's a it has a rippling effect so mm-hmm. it, it really gives you a, a overview of your problems uh, what you can solve what you should focus rather first things first always thumb rule like um, yeah those kind of things so business model canvas is another book that i would definitely recommend and yeah and also i like sapiens uh yeah 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 of course i I really enjoyed that book um so there is also another thing uh another book by ben horowitz hard thing about hard things Mm -hmm. that's also a very good read it it literally uh, tells you that uh, when when you are doing a startup and then you are really screwed up, so what what you should do or at least it it doesn't exactly say what you should do. It tells about um, Ben's experience on what he did, and and, and you get uh, so many so much insight from 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 that kind of those kind of books. So yeah, that's another book I would definitely like to recommend. Yeah, what about for people for who are excited about science or want to learn more about it, or is uh, one? So that's kind of a. That's not. Yeah, it's kind of sciencey. Yeah, that's that's more anthropology. Of, yeah, 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 anthropology. And a lot of uh, philosophical uh, stuffs as well. So, yeah. So science part, I think, um, literally, um, there. So as now, here's the here's the bad thing that as scientists we we typically don't. <laughs> prefer reading just uh, books to understand the or get 
scientific information but one book i would definitely uh, uh like like to suggest if uh, it was by uh, hawkins by I forgot the name of the book. Brief history of time. Yes, yes, yes. I read that uh, uh, way back, and it was it was really really good. I liked it. I liked the book. Um, so that one, but mostly for for I can't recollect any any book, especially on the brain that I I could suggest um, because most of <laughs> we mostly rely on research papers. But um, yeah, scientific books. Let me think. Just can't recollect. There are a couple of really good books. Uh, really good books. I, I just can't recollect right now. It's, it's all right. I'll, we'll, uh, I'll ping you in an email and we'll add them to the show notes. The, um, yep. Is there, is there a question? This is like a question I've been having fun asking people. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a question or something about the world in, in, in any way you can think about it, um, like about people that you, that you wonder about that you don't have the answer to. So like to give you and kind of give you the Stephen Hawking type, like what mine is, oh. is if the Big Bang is, has a causational relationship to the universe as we know it existing today, what, mm-hmm. would, what would happen if we took away the Big Bang or prevented it from happening before the universe could be created? I get it. I get it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like some, you like I don't have the answer to that. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah, someone does, please let me know. <laughs> so, so basically, you you want to know that if I have that kind of question in my mind, yes, of course. So, and it's related to the brain. So, the question that uh, it's for me is like when you when we think about a brain as a set of biological is just a bunch of chemicals organized in a particular way so it has a structure it has but what what keeps me thinking is that if if i'm able to generate that kind of a brain say with with clusters of cells and matrices and even if i have the connections right will that brain be capable of thinking or will that brain be conscious how how you do separate consciousness from a bunch of molecules, chemical molecules? Hmm. Well, this this is something I wonder about a lot, but I think about it in a in probably a really silly way. You'll probably laugh at me, but I I imagine consciousness wasn't like one day the lights were switched on and everyone in our species had it, and so I wonder like, what if there's like a cephalopod that's like conscious and you know self-aware and then it looks like it looks at all of its friends you know all of the other cephalopods and it's like you know, we're getting screwed on this global warming thing or like a really smart like 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 cow or something like that that's like it, it, like it knows it's different and it's like kind of sad because <laughs> like it's like the only one of its species and so uh, i wonder about like like what are the what's the threshold that needs to be met and like once you like take a step over that is like that's where conscious happens or something like that. But I wonder about the same thing. It's very it's it's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 like if you if you define life, it's like at at a molecular level, they're just a, a very well orchestrated, well architected like bunch of chemicals aligned in a particular fashion. They're working in a particular way, and but then when you think about consciousness that so, so i honestly don't know i haven't found answer to that yet that 
even if we are able to develop, I think that's not very far. I person, that's my personal belief, and based on whatever whatever I've read and whatever we have done so far, is that we we would be in a position to to develop uh, uh, at least parts of brain on on lab dish. Now, mm. like like I said, so imagine a, a, a scenario where you have different parts of brains generated by different mechanisms, and then you can actually uh, make them, uh, you can put the pieces together to make an actual brain-like structure. Will that thing have consciousness, or will the, how, how will that be? I mean, that's, that's something that's, I, I can't figure out yet. That mm. what, what, would, what would be, what would bring consciousness into that, or, or whether it's already conscious and we don't know. Yeah. My, I'll say this, and then we'll move on to the next question. The I, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I, you know those paintings where, like, when you're really close to it, you just see a bunch of dots, like a little bunch of pixels. But when you you zoom out enough, it looks like like yeah. the Mona Lisa or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of like each individual cell by itself doesn't have consciousness, but when you like enough of it comes to be, together, you get that picture. But that's the only thing that pops in my head, and I, that's not an answer, but like that's what I was just thinking about. I wanted to share it, but um, so. For people listening in who are like, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I want to learn more. Where, where can they go to learn more about you? you? Just shoot me an email. I'll be more than happy to answer your queries. Or if you are just inquisitive about uh, knowing more about the brain or, or a particular sort, um, type of stem cell therapy for the brain, I'll be more than happy to put my two cents. All right, sweet. And I'll, I'll include it in the, in, the, in the show notes. And then you probably want to send them to your website, right? Yep, yep. Just, just visit our, our website. It has uh, already, so we have created a, a separate FAQ section where we try to uh, find the most common asked questions. So we, because we keep talking to patients time to time, so we are also in touch with um, the foundations, different different sort of um, associations for Parkinson's patients, and uh, we do meet with uh, some of the representatives of these kind of organizations from time to time, and we sort of ask them that you know what what kind of questions do you do you hear from uh, from the patients around you, or what do you think would be uh, a most general question for for uh, maybe someone who is just uh, curious to know whether whether there is a stem cell therapy for for this kind of disease for neurodegenerative diseases um, so we did put up just not more i think three or four questions and answers to them we are expanding that uh, we are we're keeping on adding questions uh, more relevant questions it's it's not related to absolutely with exactly what we are doing it's rather uh, it gives you a uh, a broad overview of the process and also uh, we have tried to put uh, in I think one of the questions that uh, why we are seeing the problem in a different way and uh, why we are approaching it in a different way and what's the benefit of that so that that it's a very very high level non-technical thing so we created that section keeping into mind uh, the, the people who are who are not technically trained or scientifically trained or doesn't you don't need a background for that so so that that's the right kind of audience for the, that section and we're we're always updating that makes sense uh, and that'd probably be at c-o-n-v-o-l-e-s-c-e.com 
yeah, that should be Convales, www.convales.co. Oh, CO. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. The, um, all right. So last question. And if you, if you don't have this answer, I'll delete this. But the, do you have a favorite quote you want to leave people with? Yes. Uh, my favorite quote uh, is from uh, Swami Vivekananda. So he said that uh, arise awake and stop not till the goal is reached. So I think that's that what really drives me when um, I am I'm not I'm feeling low and I think that that that's a huge that quote is something which gives me a lot of inspiration and that was Shubhiti Das of Convales check their website out in the show notes and thank you for joining me today other than that, I want to inform people before we go that there is a new way to show support for the podcast and to keep it advertisement free from now until forever, which is called Patreon. If you go to Patreon and look for Learning with Lowell, you'll see this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell was here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you.